There's an idea or a fact or whatever you want to call it that someone's perception is their reality. How you perceive something, whether true or false, is real to you. Some people will say, the year is flying by. I say there's still 237 days till Christmas. So, Some will say, it's cold in here, Sister Ewing. Others of us will say, it's hot in here. I can't say either one is right or wrong. I don't know how you feel. If you smack someone's hand, they may say, ow, that hurt. They may have more pain receptors or nearer the surface of the skin than you do. And indeed, it felt much differently to them than it would have to you. Let me ask you about Jesus. What do you think about Jesus? How do you perceive him? Do you sense him near or is he distant? Is he Lord of your life or is he just a story you've heard about? Do you know him or are you just acquainted with him? Is he second place in a list of persons in the Godhead? Is he some sort of junior God? Was he just some sort of good prophet, a nice guy, a caring soul? Or is he the mighty God in Christ, the everlasting Father? Is he the Word from the beginning? Is he God manifest in the flesh? In him does all the fullness of the Godhead dwell. What is your perspective of Jesus? Is he your standby in case other things fail, your last resort? Or is he the God that supplies all your needs according to his riches and glory? Is he a good partner to have on retainer in case you need it bailed out of something? Or is he the one in whom we move and live and have our being? Is he just nice to have around just in case? Or does your soul long for God? Oh, it matters how you perceive God. Who he is to you makes a massive difference. Is he some hardened, mean, controlling dictator ready to cast down, hand down judgment? Or is he a kind, heavenly father whose mercy is new every single morning? Do you shudder in fear at the very thought of God? Or is your heart warmed by the idea of God's unconditional love for you. You see how you perceive Jesus makes a difference in your actions and your attitudes and your beliefs and your destiny. Oh, it matters how you perceive him. All of the gospels tell us the account of the crucifixion of Jesus and the events leading up to it and after it. I want to look at this account from John's gospel because of a particular phrase in two verses that are only found in this book. John 18 tells us that Jesus was betrayed in the garden. He was there with his disciples when the mob came and bound him and led him away. They led him to the high priest for questioning. An officer didn't like an answer and Jesus, and and he walked up to Jesus and smacked Jesus across the face. The Son of God was slapped The king of kings was harshly rebuked. This officer's perspective of Jesus was way different than mine. He must have viewed Jesus as just a guy, maybe even a little crazy. Jesus was brought before Pilate. John 18, 29 tells us, 
Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? Verse 30, they answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. These people perceived Jesus as evil and wild and harmful and worthless and depraved. Pilate said, judge him against your law. The crowd shot back. According to our law, we can't put him to death. Their perception of Jesus was that he was so bad, the only way to help the situation was to give him the death sentence. Pilate went in and talked things over with Jesus. Pilate finally emerged from his chambers and said, I don't find any fault in this man. Pilate's perspective was just Jesus was this innocent guy that the Jewish people didn't like. Pilate says, your custom says to release a prisoner at the Passover. I'll release Jesus to you. Now we would rather have Barabbas. Barabbas, a robber, a murderer, a rebel, a troublemaker, a criminal that posed a threat to the empire's peace and security. Yeah, we'll take him over Jesus. Their perception was Jesus was much worse than a murderer and a thief and a liar. Insurrectionist Pilate had Jesus beaten maybe to try to appease the crowd not to crucify him or maybe to get Jesus to renounce his teachings and calm things down. The soldiers put a crown of thorns on his head, purple robe on him, smacked him in the face, ridiculed him, bullied him, and belittled him. Their perspective of Jesus was that he was nothing. He was dirt. He was horrible. Decorating him as a mock king. Sarcastically saying, Hail, king of the Jews. Smacking and hitting. Pilate went out again and told the crowd, I don't find any fault in him. John 19, 5. Then came Jesus. The phrase that's found here in only one other place in the Bible. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. The man? Did you hear his teachings? Just The man, that's the best he gets? Did you see his compassion and his miracles? The man, that's your perspective? Pilate, you said three times it's recorded in the word of God where you said he was innocent. You questioned him, Pilate. Now on presenting Jesus this bruised and bloody prisoner as the man. Pilate, you ridiculed the charges leveled against this pitiful-looking figure dressed as a king. Upon seeing him, though, the crowd crucify him, screaming and crazed out of their mind. 
That's what you do to hardened criminals. Crucify him. That's what you do to horrible, horrible people. Crucify him. That's what you do to extremely dangerous people. The worst of the worst. That's their perspective of Jesus. And that's what they did. Pilate turned over the man to this bloodthirsty crowd. And they nailed him to a cross. To this Roman execution squad, it was just another day at the office. They crucified Jesus and two other criminals. They took Jesus' garments and split them up between the four of them. Then for his tunic, they, it was one piece. And so they did a little gambling and somebody won that for their little prize to take home. Just another body. Just another person. No big deal. To them, Jesus, just another criminal. Just doing my job. Jesus died. Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man and a prominent member of the council, along with Nicodemus, a member of the supreme Jewish ruling body, they stepped forward to get the body of Jesus. They wanted to give him a proper burial. These men were secretly interested. They had had conversation with the master. They were intrigued, but now it, it, it seems like it's all over. Nicodemus himself brought some 65 pounds of heavy mixture to prepare the body for burial. He didn't perceive Jesus as a risen king. He prepared him to stay in the tomb. But Sunday came. John 20 tells us that Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early that morning expecting to find the body of Jesus right where they had buried him. When she got close, she could see that the stone was rolled away and she ran back to Peter and John. Her perspective was that someone had stolen the body. He wasn't risen. Rather, they took the body of Jesus and we don't know where they moved it. Peter and John ran to the tomb at hearing the words of Mary and John was standing there at the edge looking inside and Peter just headlong into the tomb looking around and John followed him and they, they found the grave closed there but they didn't see Jesus and they they left, those two left and went back home scratching their heads. And Mary standing there in anguish. She, she looked in the tomb. She saw two angels evidently maybe so in anguish not recognizing them because it was no big deal it would seem to her. And the angel said, why are you crying? And Mary's perspective was still, they stole his body. They've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've moved him and where they buried him. She was so distraught and got out of the tomb and she, she looked and she supposed it was the gardener and this gardener said why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And again Mary just figuring it was the gardener her perception was still Jesus' body was gone. The two guys in the tomb asking her why she's crying. The gardener asking him why she's crying. So Sir, if you've moved the body of Jesus, just tell me where it is so I can retrieve it. Jesus, who of course, Mary's perspective was he was just the gardener. But Jesus said, Mary. And when that happened, everything changed. Master, 
Jesus said, go tell your brethren. Mary found the disciples. I've seen the Lord. I talked to him. He talked to me. That evening, some of the disciples were together all locked up in a room and they were scared of the Jews and what would happen. And I'm sure they were discussing this, scratching their heads, trying to figure this all out. And Jesus appears in that locked room. Peace be unto you. Jesus said, here. Showed him his hands. Showed him his side. Oh, there's no doubting it's the Lord. Perspective still. And started to change. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a miracle worker. He wasn't just a friend. He wasn't just a healer. He's a risen Savior. He's the Son of God. The Messiah. Bible tells us that Thomas, one of the disciples, happened to not have been there when Jesus appeared that first time in that locked upper room. They gathered again and the disciples were telling Thomas all about it. We've seen him. We've seen the Lord. We talked to him and we, he's alive and he's well. But Paul, Thomas had a different perspective. It's almost like, y'all, I've been through a whole lot this last little bit. My faith and my trust and my hope has absolutely been shattered. I thought we found the Messiah. I thought he was the one we were waiting for. I thought he was our hope and I gave up everything for him. But I watched them take him and beat him and ridicule him and crucify him and he did nothing about it. I watched him die. I watched them bury him. No. Not until I see the nail prints. Until I touch the scars. Until I put my hand in his side where they thrust the sword. You can count me out. My perspective remains the same. He's still dead. I'm not believing. John 20 verse 26. And after eight days again his disciples were within. And Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. I imagine Thomas kind of staring glassy-eyed. Jesus said, Come here, Thomas. Touch my hands. Touch my side. Thomas didn't even bother. There was a massive perception change. Thomas's declaration of not only affirmation of relationship, but also devotion. He said, my Lord and my God. Then came Jesus. Did you say, behold the man, there's that one guy. Or did you say, my Lord and my God? 
I'll say it again. It makes a difference how you perceive Jesus. If he's just that guy, then I guess it's no big deal to tell him to get lost. Tell him you don't need him. Do away with him. Possibly even crucify him. But I'm here to declare that when you have a then came Jesus moment in your life and you realize like Mary that he's no longer dead, there's a powerful change that can come over you. When you have a then came Jesus moment like the disciples, when you're locked up in a room because of fear, when you're locked up and scared because you don't know what to do, when you're closed in because of sin, when you're imprisoned because of the addiction, when your sickness has so you so limited, then came Jesus makes all the difference in the world. You thought it was over. You thought it was all for naught. You thought you were defeated. You thought this was the end. Then came Jesus and suddenly everything changed in your life. Maybe like Thomas, you've heard good reports, but you've tried religion. You put your faith in this or in that, and it's failed you. Maybe like Thomas, you used to walk with Jesus. You felt his touch. You've seen his power. But he disappointed you. He didn't show up when you thought he should. He didn't do what you thought he should do. Maybe you thought you'd follow just a lie. Let this morning be a then came Jesus moment for you. See him for who he really is. I can attest and testify and so could countless others here. He's not just that guy. He's a way maker a soul saver, a deliverer, a healer, a heart mender, a miracle worker. This is a then came Jesus moment for you this morning. Don't leave here saying, well, that was nice. Nicodemus and Joseph, don't look at him as just a nice guy and we're going to treat his body well. My God is alive and well and has all power in heaven and earth and he can do anything here this morning. And when you have a then came Jesus moment and you decide to proclaim my Lord and my God, you can have more then moments in your life after that because this happened to Peter and Acts 2.38 says, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, preaching salvation to the lost with boldness. Acts 3, 6 says, then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. He's empowered to work in the gifts of the Spirit. Acts 5, 29, then Peter 
Peter and the other disciples, apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God. They're filled with confidence and faith. Acts 8, 5, then Philip went down. He preached the gospel wherever God took him. Acts 8, 17, then laid their hands on them. They were filled with power and anointing. Acts 14, 13, 46, then Paul and Silas, Barnabas, waxed bold. They were filled with boldness. I went here this morning to tell somebody that you have a then came Jesus moment here this morning. Don't just say he's a nice guy. Somebody don't just say behold the guy over there. Come on somebody bend your knee to him. Bend your pride to him. Bend your faith to him. Bend your will to him and proclaim my Lord and my God. As we stand in this place We have felt his touch. We have felt his power. But I have come to preach to somebody or somebody's. This is your then came Jesus moment. He has stepped into this place. And when he has, if you'll submit yourself and say, my Lord and my God, There is no telling what's going to happen in your life because he's not here to play games with you. He is here to change you forever. He is here to make a difference in your life. Somebody lift your hands and proclaim his name.